Welcome to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series features founders, investors, and legal talent that will help you embrace technology and transform your organization for a better future. This series is hosted by Natalie Pierce, the chair of Gunderson Detmer's Labor and Employment Law Practice. Natalie and her guests are committed to helping you develop new playbooks to elevate your game. Hey, this is Natalie for our season opener of the Future Work Playbook. This season, we're focused on environmental, social, and governance initiatives. And today, we're looking at how venture capital firms can use the ESG framework to lead the way in responsible investing and how ESG can influence company valuations. With that, I'm pleased to welcome our guest, Alberto Yepes, the managing director of the esteemed VC firm Forgepoint Capital. Alberto's also a serial entrepreneur with a proven track record of building global businesses and leading them to successful exits. He's a pioneer in the cybersecurity industry, and Fortune has even recognized him as one of the world's top VCs dominating cybersecurity investing. Forgepoint is headquartered in the Bay Area and focuses on transformative companies in the cybersecurity space and adjacent technologies such as AI, blockchain, and cloud. The firm was founded on the values of diversity, inclusivity, and greater economic prosperity and incorporates ESG across its activities. Alberto, welcome. It's so great to have you with us. Natalie, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you guys and really appreciate what you do for the community. Thank you, Alberto. Alberto, you know, I would love for us to start by talking a little bit about your ESG handbook, which I have to tell you, I've shared it with other VCs and companies, and it is truly a great guide. Can you maybe tell our listeners more about the handbook, why your team decided to develop it, and how it influences and leads your investing principles. Thank you. You know, the ESG handbook came about because we were all asking the question, how can we make ESG actionable? Because we all agree the fact that in what we do, we try to be impactful on the environment and the governance of our business and how we can impact our community. And so what we established was first a working group that basically said, so how can we, what are the resources that we needed to to research? What resources are available? So first, how do we implement something that is actionable at ForgePoint? And then eventually, are there organizations that are taking the lead in how we can quantify that impact? So as much as the byproduct was a handbook is the how we achieved the handbook. So it was a grassroots effort that a lot of, uh, you know, we, we had key management of the firm. Everybody was involved. Yeah. And so what we concluded was that there was very little at that time, because we did this almost more than two, two years, almost two and a half years ago, but we, we came out with some of the initiatives going on with the ILPA, for those listeners that may not know what the ILPA is, is the Institutional Limited Partner Association, which has the people that invest in private equity firms, that invest in, in venture capital firms, that also wanted to have an impact. 
specifically in diversity on boards and and how they can provide guidance uh, for people in due diligence. And they came up with a couple of initiatives. One was the Diversity in Action uh, Initiative, and the other one most recently, the ESG Data Convergence Project. So as we started developing our own handbook and guidelines, we started trying to look for reference models to be able to do that. Obviously, the UN impact the PRI initiative also was a great guide for us. So, and then we started to say, well, we're a small organization. How do we impact the environment? And simple things as how do you recycle? Do you use bottled water? Do you, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you deal with uh, commuting? How can you track carbon usage and footprints? Are they ways to offset that? So there was a number of initiatives that we, they came together and we put it in a framework. And what we wanted to do is provide guidelines, not only to us, but our portfolio companies of how to implement like a simple recipe that yeah. they can do it. And without, without saying, oh, we need to spend all this money or we need to bring a consultant. So it was more of a pragmatic view in how to make ESG actionable. Yeah. And the reason why I love sharing it is that it, while it, includes, of course, your own ESG policy, giving a guide that has a sample implementation timeline by funding stage, and and then and also a list of examples, recommendations, what people can do. It, it is a great way to get started. And I think by sort of spelling things out by funding stage as a, for example, it really emphasizes this point of you don't have to wait until you're Fully established, you can you can start small just by naming uh, one person as a as a for example. Now, you are actually a founding signatory for the UN principles of responsible investing. I, I looked at one of your blog posts from earlier this year, and I don't think I had uh, realized that until I saw it. And what was it that? that led you to want to actually become a founding signatory for the um, UNPRI? I guess at first point, we want to lead by example. And also we want to lean in on activities that we we believe will make an impact in our overall economy or environment. And when we saw the UN putting those principles, we said, wow, we're not alone. We're in good company. And we said, let's try to figure out and provide a, that different perspective and add to the to the initiative. So that's what really prompted us to do that. Just to give you a bit of background, in addition to the UNPRI, we, we got involved very early with the ILPA Diversity in Action initiative. Yes. It was looking for more diversity in on boards, more diversity in executive management. How do we track that? But, you know, that has roots even before then. The National Venture Capital Association established almost five years ago the Diversity Task Force. Mm -hmm. So you know that in private equity and venture capital, there's very little uh, diversity. And so the NVCA decided to establish this task force and recruited 10 diverse managers to actually drive the diversity task force for the NVCA and had a 
great set of results. So I would say he modeled a way of how do we how we track. We ended up agreeing with Deloitte that we were going to do a diversity survey every two years to track the progress. So we saw how we were impactful on working with the NBCA Diversity Task Force. So that's what he prompted us to saying, what are the other key initiatives? If we are early, we can impact it. So that's why the UNPRI being a signature and also being one of the early adopters, both of the ILPA Diversity in Action and the Data Convergence Project. Such an important organization and such an important initiative. I was impressed and happy that when I spoke, I guess it was a couple of years ago in, in 2021 at a NVCA event, you listened to other managing partners like yourself talk about how important driving change was uh, in, in terms of diversity, in terms of other ESG initiatives, certainly uh, the environment as well. And, and it's clear from your blog post that that of this year that you've seen and truly believe that ESG practices are not only good for people and our planet, but also increase enterprise value. And you really do show the way. So again, just wanted to thank you for all that you do and all that uh, that others at NVCA do. Yeah, um, thank you. It, it's, 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 it was a very good initiative because we found other organizations that help with the recruiting and uh, they were trying to help underrepresented minorities to get into private equity and so it became a community working together. It was a community effort. And I think we synthesized this and put, put the framework. And at Forge Point, we always say we drive ESG and diversity from the first call to the, to the exit. So when we engage the entrepreneur all the way to the exit, we have incorporated ESG principles on how we do diligence a company. It's not like by the time we they become a portfolio company, but we... We have a due diligence checklist where we we looked at every aspect of their business and how they are really do they have the right governance model? Yeah. Do they have you know initiatives that are you know encouraging a diverse workforce and how what they do impact the environment? So it's it's one of those things those things that unless you incorporate it as part of your core business practices, it becomes an afterthought. And so we're really, I guess, trying to make it actionable, which was always the case. And I always attend a number of sessions say, oh, we're trying to do ESG. We don't know how to do it. And I said, you know, you can do it at every, every, every step of the way as part of your business model. And don't, don't think that it's going to be a guideline or something very specific. You will be able to implement it and make the impact as long as you incorporate it as part of your core uh, daily practices. Yeah, I love that. And startups should absolutely keep that in mind. And we we put out something of an ESG playbook, really encouraging startups to start early because then when you have a forge point capital, for example, taking a look and doing their due diligence, because ESG initiatives early on can be such an indicator of success later in the development of a company that if it's not there, you might miss the opportunity to 
to get that funding. Why don't we talk a little bit about the kind of benchmark data your firm is starting to track, given that you have access to organizations like Convergence Project and uh, and given that the industry continues to move toward this direction? The benchmark data is very comprehensive and, and it's trying to really gather data from people that do investments in oil rigs to real estate to marine I guess, research and, and, yeah. and we're in the software industry. So the, the things that are very relevant to us, the metrics that are really relevant to us are primarily in the DNI component. So you can track diversity. Like I said before, we do quarterly operations review and we gather data from our companies and we have incorporated in our own ERP or portfolio operations system where we say, how diverse is, is the executive team? How diverse is the board? What are the new new positions that we're trying to recruit? Are we interviewing enough candidates that ensure that we're going to have a diverse team? So I would say the areas are diversity, employee engagement, mm-hmm. company growth, turnover are of particular interest. Some of the environmental aspects of it is hard because many of us no longer have data centers and electricity. We all use the cloud. Obviously, we use for we look for providers and suppliers that are that are also following ESG. So we have a supply chain that is committed to environmental impact. So those are the key items for us. It's primarily about workforce engagement and, and recruiting. Fantastic. Fantastic. And speaking of teams, uh, ForgePoint has one of the most diverse in venture capital. Can you share how that contributes to the firm's success? I'll be happy to. Yeah, and we're very proud of that. When I was a founder back in the day, uh, when I was an entrepreneur, I was making rounds and fundraising. I always wanted to see someone like me on the other side of the table, but that very rarely happened. Today, it is amazing how the industry is evolving to be more inclusive, and there's so much great talent there that deserves access. At Forge Point, we're very lucky that we founded a company from a diversity perspective. And not just diversity in, like I mentioned before, gender, ethnicity, or nationality, but we're also very much focused on veterans. Because veterans, as they serve our country and try to come back to the workforce, they are incredible human capital. They have a sense of mission. And so ForgePoint is a veteran and minority-owned firm where we drive a mission to protect the digital future. I think their service to our country and community permits and the sense of purpose. We always say when we accomplish something, we celebrate it and we say the mission continues. Mm-hmm. And the mission continues all the way from investing in technologies that protect institutions of all sizes and safeguard individuals' rights to privacy. The diversity of perspectives help us make impact across the founder community, uh, among the entrepreneur community, And what matters most as we invest and help our entrepreneurs succeed. I would really, Alberto, love for us to um, maybe share some of the ESG organizations or organizations that are focusing on ESG initiatives that you're most proud of working with and why. 
because we're in the private equity business, again, I would say the ILPA is very important because those are our customers, right? Yeah. You think who's the customer of a venture capital firm is the people that, that gives us the trust and use their, their money for us to help them achieve their objectives. So the ILPA is one organization that we are very proud to be collaborating with. The MVCA, because it's core to our business, again, the, um, the UNPRI, and most recently, the World Economic Forum has taken also a very actionable approach to how, how to guide, in general, the community in, in, in World Economic Forum to actually try to implement that. So they, they work with the smaller companies, something called the Technology Pioneers, even one of our portfolio companies called CyberCube that I guess last year was selected among those. We have a number of those that have been selected as technology pioneers, but we like the fact that at different levels, World Economic Forum is a global level. ILPA is very specific to private equity. MBCA is more specific to the venture capital. And then you have something more, more grounded to your own community. And, and that's exactly what we need to figure out where, where to put our effort to be able to work with them. So those are the organizations that we feel more uh, aligned with and that we can learn and contribute. Yeah. Well, you mentioned CyberCube. What, what is it that has you particularly impressed about CyberCube? You know, everything starts in the top, right? And I would say the leadership team in CyberCube took it upon themselves to report at every board meeting their journey through ESG. I wish I can tell you we, were, we had some discussions, but this is so important that every board meeting will provide you an update on our activities. It will put you an action plan, first a framework, and then an action plan of how we're tracking against that. So at it, it, every level, an environmental level, you know, a lot of it was how we impacted the environment. Do people know their actions that take have an impact on what they do? And so I would give you a sense, you know, the simple things is how you, you track employee flights and how is the car, carbon offsets mm-hmm. because they live, they, their headquarters in London and San Francisco, even give them access to the bicycles uh, membership so that they can actually don't have to be taking a car uh, getting a lot of um, volunteer activities to make sure that actually they would help with a lot of different infrastructure, looking at their suppliers to see how can they offset or are they they were suppliers that care about the environment. So it was one of these things where even simple recycling education lunches yeah. and eliminating water bottles and trying to, I would say we were very inspired because it wasn't one big thing, but all the little things that eventually became so important. And when it came to, you know, the, the social aspect and diversity, they said, look, this is where we are today. So they established a baseline, both at the board level, at the, the executive leadership level, and, 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 and the rest, and saying we need to be intentional, purposeful. Mm-hmm. Company was growing really well, and they put targets, but at a minimum, they will have to have a specific percentage of candidates being interviewed. At the end of the day, it's all about performance, but making an effort to make sure to find the candidates. And as a result, we've done a much better job. I think mm-hmm. we increase 
uh, about around 35% the hiring of um, uh, diverse candidates from the past 18 months. Oh, so it's funny. because we, 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 again, it's all about tracking and being intentional at every step of the way. Mm. Well, you've certainly not only invested in uh, companies that share these values, but you certainly walk the talk and have created at Forge Point Capital a, a diverse a workforce um, in addition to having a diverse portfolio. Uh, to what do you attribute that success, Alberto? The team, everyone, everyone, because we we have we established a working group. It became a task force. It became a we established as a committee, mm-hmm. and we reported it every you know every, once a month. There's a report to the partnership of how well we're doing, where all the different initiatives that we have, mm-hmm. great ideas came. We should incorporate it as part of a performance review at, at, at the end of the year. We have this a section that says ESG impact, and it's about recruiting. You know, are you in, getting involved with your alma mater and trying to source recruiting candidates? Are you going? Mm. And so we, we so as we continue to incorporate us as our day to day, I would say it, it was the fact that we believe that it is the right thing to do, bring diverse perspectives and, and also encourage all our portfolio companies to actually follow, depending on the stage, as you can see, where it makes sense. It really ingrained, not like, oh, I have to do this, but wow, this makes me a better company a, a better person so that's probably what makes us the the most proud because it's an effort that it's not just led by one person yeah. but it's, we have we have a represent a representation from the whole firm it's it's actually reported on a on a monthly basis and our you know vcs also have a board our lpac our limited partner uh, advisory committee that gets together twice a year we are very proud of on giving them statistics, we've been very successful in attracting and retaining diverse candidates. And it's hard to find them, but you know, you need to go back to where we we have a very active uh, college recruiting program and also a very active veterans program. Oh, veterans return. They also are looking for opportunities in the commercial sector. So I would say that we we give summer internships to two or three indiv- individuals that come in and work with us. One or two of them walk away with with offers, and and most of them are diverse candidates. Not not they happen to be the best. It's not the one you just look for diverse candidates. And also, when it comes to two or three programs that we have with the Department of Defense, the Air Force, that actually have veterans back to work, and we get very very involved not only in inviting them to, to spend time with us, they have internships that they, they facilitate and either they end up with a job with us or in our portfolio companies because they do get the sense of mission yeah. and they have that sense of impact as well from protecting our, our nation. It's critical. And those are great examples of why at the end of the day, you know, you think of the ECBC world as a final frontier <laughs> at times in terms of diversity. And by being very intentional in your recruiting efforts and with the diverse workers, but also reaching out to uh, veterans, it's clear that you've done much to um, make a great difference. 
Alberto, will you uh, join me in a quick fire challenge so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit more on a personal level? Happy to. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay, let's start with this. Um, Who have been some of the biggest proponents across your career, your supporters? Great question. You know, besides my parents and the Jesuit missionaries that started the Christory schools in Peru, that very early on my formation years, they inculcated the value of education and the importance of becoming leaders in the service of others. Mm-hmm. But when you think about that, it's very, very powerful because you need to be good at what you do, but you need to be also aware of your environment and how you can make an impact. Thanks to them, I was able to come to, to the U.S. on a scholarship uh, given by the Jesuits to the University of San Francisco, and I obtained my degrees in computer science and electronic physics, and that helped me get my first job in the industry, and I worked at Apple. I worked at Apple for 10 years. Fantastic. So at Apple, I would say I'm very grateful to a couple of people in particular. My first manager, Pete Solvik, who was the former head of IT uh, in, in Apple, and he became the CIO of Cisco, and he also became the founding managing partner of Jackson Ventures, uh, Jackson Square Ventures. And the reason I I want to highlight him, he was always like a mentor and a guide, because not only gave me the opportunity to become a leader and manager, but he also inculcated the importance of building relationships and trusted relationships. Like a new engineer, I always wanted to be in my cube trying to make my deliverables earlier to support it, he says, no, you need to get out, go have mm-hmm. lunch, meet the people around you, try to build a community, and that's how you're going to be able to grow in the organization. So I owe a lot to Pete, because even when I started moving into the venture community, I call him again, what is this venture world, and really try to really understand what are the, the key characteristics of being successful in a new industry for me. So Pete is one of the people that I highlight. Yeah. And the second person at Apple uh, was Debbie Coleman, a woman. Unfortunately, she she, she passed a few, few years ago. Mm-hmm. But she was the former CFO and CIO of Apple. She worked with Steve Jobs in the, manu- in the Macintosh manufacturing facility. She mm-hmm. was a big champion of diversity. I remember she, one of the efforts of trying to increase diversity at Apple, she she picked a handful of high potential individuals to be groomed as the next generation of Apple executives. And she sponsored executive development programs and coaches, executive coaches for us to become the next leaders in Apple. So I owe a lot to Debbie because she she was always an icon and a a trailblazer, even in a company dominated by not not diverse workforce, including women. And the last person I want to distinguish, sorry for the long answer. No, this is great. Co-founder Don Dixon of Forcepoint. Don, Navy veteran, Two kids out of the Marine Corps, daughter worked in the White House. Uh, so he has service as a core component, very successful investor. He's the one that gave me the opportunity to become a VC. But uh, we complement each other because he knows a lot about the industry and helped me understand the world of investing while I help why I helped him understand the entrepreneurial world. So I think we have a great team. Yeah. Got a great job of bringing a very diverse team in, in, into Forgepoint. Yeah, amazing mentors, examples, supporters, and, and partners. And now you paying it forward must feel great. 
Okay, next, what is your favorite podcast or book at the moment? So I don't have a favorite podcast. I get notifications of different podcasts that I signed up. And when there's an interesting topic, I usually jump into that. And to tell you the truth, I don't have a favorite book because I hardly have time to read my emails every day. I'm sure you have similar issues, but I don't have a favorite book. Yeah. Well, first off, um, Alberto, I take this to mean that um, Future Work Playbook is now your favorite podcast. <laughs> you bet it's already on my uh, on my on the top of the list. <laughs> and then, and then I will tell you that one thing that I've found when I am unable to be at a screen, sometimes listening to a little Audible, uh, you know, a book is is a good way to go. Okay, so last question. What's uh, one travel destination on your bucket list? Can I have two? Yes, you can. I've always been fascinated by Patagonia and how it's still not industrialized or untouched. So I, I really got to be there. Yeah. Uh, and then the South Pacific Islands. Those are the two, two places that I would love to be one day. Well. Two places on my bucket list are Patagonia and Tahiti. So we'll have to compare experiences at some point. Okay. So uh, sadly with that, we've come to the close of this episode. I've, I've very much enjoyed the discussion. Uh, and as we've seen in other episodes and conversations that we've had today, ESG is proliferating amongst leaders across all sectors of the innovation economy. What we've learned is that more investors are connecting the dots between their investment principles and the companies that they look to fund with guiding practices to bridge the power of technology and the positive impact they have across industries. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Alberto. We're so grateful you could join us to share your perspective. Thank you for the opportunity. And thanks to everyone for joining us. Bye-bye. You've just listened to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series is brought to you by Gunderson Detmer, the world's number one law firm representing venture capital funds and high growth companies. Join Natalie Pierce on our next episode as she and her guests help prepare your organization for the future. Please subscribe to the Future Work Playbook.